Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia. I'm doing something a little different on the podcast today, which is a deep dive into power and conflict. Whilst this episode does not deal directly with Ukraine, my guest mentioned it briefly at the end, I thought that it's important and relevant to understand how power intersects with conflict. So I have a discussion today with Julie Diamond to explore these issues. Julie is the founder of Diamond Leadership, an executive coach and international leadership consultant. Julie's research and work with leaders has focused on the problems of power, the ways power is expressed and how it impacts culture, decision-making and leadership ability. And Julie has an excellent book on these issues called Power, A User's Guide, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for listeners who would like to find out more. It's a very accessible read and introduces some excellent ideas on power and how it applies in day-to-day contexts. Whilst Julie does not specialize in the domain of world politics per se, I assign a chapter from Julie's book on power to my international politics students each semester as it provides an interesting and illuminating heuristic to understand how power informs conflict, not only at the individual interpersonal level, but also can be applied to the level of nations or other political communities. So let's jump into the conversation. Thanks so much for joining me today, Julie. Thank you, Jessica. I'm happy to be here. So Julie, you've written in your work about these two key types of power. What is the distinction between these two different types of power? Sure. So I just want to say that I'm not an expert in international relations and the work that I do, I haven't applied it to large national actors or nation states. We can extrapolate, we can hypothesize. I do think in terms of scale, right? So what happens between two people tends to happen at the group level, tends to happen at a societal level. So let me acknowledge that power is the most researched concept in the social sciences. As someone famously said, power is to the social sciences what energy is to the physical sciences. In essence, everything. There's so many ways to cut up the power pie, right? There's so many different ways to describe the various types of power. And many researchers have been doing this. And in fact, when you read about the construct of power in the social sciences, pretty much you'll start with different types of power, the different bases of power, the different power with, power over, power to. One of the key things when it comes to how we use our power, how that intersects with human behavior, we have to consider two fundamental different kinds of power, power that is sourced outside of us. So the powers that we get that are ratified, assigned, bestowed either directly like a position or indirectly as in a social privilege, but nonetheless, they're based in external sources, societal norms norms. And then those powers that are grown, developed, or found within us, our personal power. And that that can include things like our expertise that we grow and develop. But fundamentally, they're what I call inner sourced powers. They're our personal powers, our ability to persuade, our the personality traits that set us up for success, or the self-awareness that we've developed and accrued that allow us to be effective under stress, pressure, showing up in different situations. That power is invisible. 
It's not ratified. It's subjective. It's not anything anyone could agree upon. And it's it's seen as important. I mean, clearly people say, well, you have to be a good influencer and there's and, and it's important, but it's most of us have our eyes on the externally sourced powers. The more we chase externally sourced power, the more dependent we are on those external sources for validation, for success. Mm-hmm. And I love how you started out by talking about that long history of the study of power, because of course, we're venturing in to a total minefield of concepts and definitions and ideas. And if we look at that domain of the more externally sourced power and how that operates, I'm thinking about the fact that oftentimes in conflict situations, both sides might feel as if they're the weaker actor, which is quite interesting, right? Like that always fascinates me. What's happening there when we're looking at the feeling or the identification with power? Oh, I love that question. I think this is the fundamental problem. And I think it's a source of a lot of con- almost all conflict. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to speak globally, but what I've seen is that it seems to be a very common that people will chronically underestimate their power. And there's many ways to describe this. One thing is what psychologists call a negativity bias, which is that humans are conditioned to respond to threat as a survival strategy. So your attention, your eyes, your brain will hyper-focus on things that are going to be a threat to you. So the negativity bias is a survival strategy that helps us stay alive. The better we detect a threat, the more likely we are to avoid it, to protect ourselves, to run, to fight, to hide, to do whatever we need to do to stay alive. So when it comes to power, we're more conditioned to detect, to scan our environment, to see people's behaviors and to interpret it as a high power move against us as a threat to our survival. We see this in nation states, we see this in countries, we see this in the workplace, we see this on the playground, that we feel that we're gonna be the victim of someone else's aggression. Mm -hmm. And if it's not an overt act of aggression, it's something they're gonna do to us. I think partly it's that negativity bias, partly it's the hyper-focus on external sources of power. So we're always more conditioned to look at high power and high rank. I give the example of a ladder, like when you're on a ladder, you're always looking up. So your, your gaze is trained to the people above you, right? You're always looking at, you know, how can I keep up? And we forget, we fail to think that there's people beneath us looking up at us. We just constantly have our eyes trained on, on one hand, threat in a more striving way on the powers that we don't yet have that we want. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And it makes me think of also how we tend to be less aware of when we have high power or high rank in a particular situation vis-a-vis others who have less. Whereas when we have less power or less rank, we're usually painfully aware of that. That really in, in essence is the complicated dynamic. So let's let's unpack it a little bit. I call that in my work lens of power. It's a magnifying lens. And everything you do and say through that lens is amplified, magnified. You sound more definitive, you sound smarter, or you sound scarier, whatever it is through that lens of power. So somebody with less rank is keenly aware of that because of that negativity, because of that threat scanning behavior, right? They're an expert in someone else has power, they forget their own power. What normally happens is, is there's a jet lag. 
you get promoted, but your identity stays behind feeling less power. You don't transition with you a sense of greater power. You still feel like that person. And then you're not behaving appropriate to the role. And that's where a misuse of power happens because you react or respond to somebody in a defensive way or a protective way in that low power state. And when it comes to conflict situations, a lot of conflict is generated through the battles for externally sourced power, which is for pretty much a zero sum game. But internally sourced power, it, it's infinite and it, you don't run out. When it's an externally sourced power, we become <laughs> dependent, just like out source sources of energy we're dependent there creates entanglements when we learn how to be powerful from within we cease being so dependent we're less entangled with others Mm -hmm. it also seems that why is this so complicated is because there are different types of power operating at the same time potentially there might be multiple dimensions of power operating in the same context now let's add about five or six or seven more types of power to the mix and we've got (laughs) this complex dynamic right so you're a black woman managing a white man or white woman and you've got positional authority but they've got social status power right or or whatever social identity power whatever you want to call that and that complexifies things i think We have to be mindful of that. I think that's something we have to be really, really careful of. And I think that because of the negativity bias, the tendency to sink into low rank, when we're in a position of authority, we have to remember the position of authority and the responsibility we're in. So what is the context? I'm responsible to that context. So if I am the CEO, I'm the manager, that role and set of requirements that belong to that role are what I'm obligated to fulfill in that moment. It's not to say that I can't acknowledge the other person's high power in another domain, but that can't trump the responsibilities of my role that I'm in in that given moment. I'd like to talk a little bit more about how this relates to conflict situations. So how do all of these sort of hugely complex dimensions of power that we've discussed and the way they operate in interactions between people How might that then shape or uh, create challenges in conflict situations? You know, this dynamic of chronically underestimating the power you have of perceiving threat that the other has higher rank or higher power than you do, I think is at the heart of many, many conflicts, Mm -hmm. um, if not all conflict. And I think that we justify aggression. If if we're the first mover, we justify that aggression as a preemptive strike, you know, because they're going to do something or they pose a threat. And the thing to understand is acting tough is not the same thing as feeling tough or Mm. feeling secure. And there's wonderful research that shows that a perceived sense of incompetence will result in a poor use of power. You know, I'm thinking of Germany. I'm thinking about Germany coming out of World War I and its its aggression and how it was building itself up from the bottom. You know, it, it saw that, you know, military takeover as essential to its survival, to coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Think about what you said about the time lag 
with updating your own identity. I'm thinking Absolutely. again, the case you raised with Germany, that in some ways going into World War II, Germany or the German regime at the time, let's say, I think was still very much identified with that weakness and humiliation that occurred post-World War One. So that, that hadn't sort of been updated to like, okay, now maybe we're actually undertaking some quite aggressive expansionist actions in our neighbourhood. And then that also resonates with what you said, that we need to understand that dimension of how does an actor themselves identify themselves, that that's actually right. really important. It's not just how do we view their actions. Absolutely. I think this is what's happening. Also, when you talked about Ukraine, I think about the threat of to Russia or to Putin, NATO, the threat of Western alliances. So while Ukraine, the actor, might not be an active threat, what they pose, what they represent is it's almost everything we've seen coming out of Russia, like in the Russian domestic context, we're sort of baffled sometimes. Everything that we're hearing seems to suggest that there's this strong feeling of threat from external Absolutely. actors. So there's a strong feeling of victimhood threat, which again, as you were saying, maybe going back many decades or even longer, centuries, which seems almost inexplicable when you look at the actions that are actually being undertaken, for example, in the current military offensive in Ukraine, but definitely exists. And I think it is fascinating that every actor seems to identify themselves as somehow the victim in a situation, even if they're being militarily aggressive. So I guess finally, I just want to ask you, when we look at the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine, Russia obviously had the greater military capability going in. That's completely clear and not in doubt. But then on the Ukrainian side, as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking that there are also threads of power there in terms Absolutely. of maybe the coherence, the objectives, the resolve that feeling of, you know, fighting for your own national survival, et cetera. So how would you sort of, again, total minefield, I know there's no good answer, but how would you kind of illuminate that a little bit, what's happening in that tension? I think you articulated it really well. I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing the actual display of these sort of lesser known powers at play, these less visible, the coherence. That is a terrific example, like where someone's narrative, someone's story is hits a chord or strikes a chord rather, and people really respond positively. So you call that in a business context, influence. You could call it, you know, the ability to, to tell a story or make meaning or sense-making, whatever that is. It's a phenomenal power. Relational power, the ability to connect to others, to form allies, uh, mm -hmm. allyship, the support, military support, all kinds of support, global support. That is a power to be, to reach out, to make those connections, to get the support from others, to find the support. And then just the resolve, the strength um, against all odds, the sort of David versus Goliath, the strength of the underdog, nothing to lose. These are all types of power that are working in favor of Ukraine in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep thinking about that idea of the non-visible types of power, but that can be just as important in shaping outcomes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. I've really enjoyed the discussion. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today, Jessica. You've been listening to the update from Key Podcast. 
thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music. See you next episode. Thank you.